My name is Brandon, by the way, and I am the campus pastor here at the church at Harpeth Heights. That's where you are this morning, and we are so glad that you are here. And yes, we, um, we try to do well with the, the cultural holidays uh, and be appropriate with them. I remember 15 years ago, uh, it was actually this time of year, I was at the first deacons meeting I had ever attended as an adult. I was up for becoming a deacon at Nashville First Baptist Church, and I was uh, visiting the deacons meeting, and it happened to be the week before Mother's Day. And I had never thought much. I mean, I was in my 20s at the time, and I, I don't even really recall how we handled it in the church that I grew up in, where my dad pastored. But I remember this night at the deacons meeting because there uh, arose a healthy discussion about such. As one deacon spoke up and said, I want to make a big deal about this. I love my mom. I want to hand out roses. I want us to, you know, play it up. And then the conversation continued and other viewpoints were shared. And I got a crash course in how wonderful and difficult this day can be for so many. So I want you to know that we try to honor that, to um, understand that in how we structure worship on Mother's Day and and Father's Day alike. We want you uh, to feel celebrated in the house of the Lord, those of you who um, are mothers, who love your mother, but some of us have lost our mothers. And are still grieving. Some of us um, want to be parents and are not. As our prayer that Oksana beautifully read, um, hopefully illustrated. Our goal is always to hold together that we are loved and sent and never alone. And I pray that you feel that this morning. Also, I would like to add to that... um, How big of a blessing it is to be in a church like this one that is so multi-generational. And because of that, we have all of the things that go on here. We have baby dedications and we have death. And someone in our church passed away yesterday, Mr. Jim Beatty, and we grieve with Sheila and his, uh, and Jan and Marianne, his uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And their entire group, and many of you may not have known Jim. Oh, but I wish you had of. And that is true for so many of us here. So as we um, come up from these last two or three years to the degree that we can, get to know one another. Get to know each of us who aren't necessarily in our uh, season of life, however you look at it. This church is rich in experience and love and uh, different stories. And Jim is rejoicing with Jesus, and we will see him again. As we begin to look into 1 John 3 together, would you pray with me um, before we do so? God, thank you for the freedom that we have to come together and worship. Thank you for this text that you have breathed it 
for us to consider today. That while it uh, was crafted by imperfect, fallible humans, that your inspiration is perfect. And we can and, and should learn from it today. May the words in my mouth, the meditation in my heart, pleasing to you and to each of us and grow us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at verses 18 through 24 today in 1 John 3. 23 was our um, primary verse, but I wanted to expand it a little bit and look around it. We are looking into this great question of confidence as we continue through 1 John. 1 John uh, is very circular in the sense that John had a few things to say and he said them several different times. I've also heard that 1 John is a neat and wonderful commentary on the Gospel of John, which if you haven't been with us, we went through for the first few months of the year together, um, hitting uh, many different parts of John's Gospel. And so I think it's been really fun to look into this letter, uh, which does expound upon the Gospel in many ways, and that is true of our text this morning. Let's look at verse 18 together through 24. The text reads, Little children... Let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for, for God is greater than our, our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and, and receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now, this is His command, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps His command remains in Him and He in Him. And the way we know that He remains in us is from the Spirit. He has given us. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. Verse 18. We're just going to go through this together. I have a lot of thoughts on it. I'll try to keep it concise. This is rich. Little children. That's John's way of encouraging you and your childlike faith. We are all children. We made a, a point over the last two weeks, Steve and I did, to, to highlight that, that we are children of God. Let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. We've talked a lot about truth over the last few weeks, specifically toward the end of John's gospel. And Jesus is truth because he embodied love. Jesus is truth because he embodied love. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. John 18, 37, when Jesus was with Pilate, 
You say that I'm a king, he says to Pilate. And he says, I was born for this and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is truth because he embodied love. I believe that's what John believes. I believe that's what John is trying to communicate. Jesus is truth because he embodied love and so must we. Now, I don't, I don't know how often this affects you as, as much as it does uh, Leslie Ann and I. We live in that direction, which is a little bit is, is toward uh, our city's urban core. Um, you guys live all over the place around Harpeth Heights. So maybe you don't live as near uh, there as we do. And maybe you don't encounter as many people um, begging at our intersections. Um, but perhaps you do. I imagine that you do. And it's interesting, I think, to be a Christian in these situations. Do you find yourself merging uh, into the lane that is away from the person begging if that option is available? Do you, do you wonder maybe to yourself why you see the same person there day after day? never seeming to improve their circumstances. Perhaps you think they are content with those circumstances. Perhaps we encounter the thoughts inside of us, have I done anything or enough to help with those circumstances? Sometimes perhaps we encounter the folks selling the contributor, if you know what I mean, the newspaper. Have y'all researched that at all, their business model? Their newspaper is sold to homeless folks in our area who are encouraged then to to sell it for a profit. They buy it for 50 cents. They then uh, stand at the intersection and and try to sell it. Now, we we should buy it and take it, and we should actually read it. Many people will just give money and say, I didn't take the paper, but I gave money. Well, that actually jams up the business model. You should actually take the paper that I've learned. It supports the business model. I remember hearing a few years ago, I, actually I read the story in the Tennessean, ironically, about the first contributor salesperson who took their earnings and bought a house with their earnings from selling the paper. The house was out in Charlotte, Tennessee, out that way, and it was a beautiful ranch house. And standing in front of it, this gentleman was so excited to be a homeowner with a smile so big. On the contributor's website, it says that 70% of folks who, who begin selling and sell the contributor for more than six months attain, obtain housing. That sounds like a good model. Now, the contributor's office it actually runs out of downtown Presbyterian Church, which is downtown. And when I was on staff at Nashville First Baptist Church, we actually had a group called uh, Rooftop Ministries, who helps with short-term rent or mortgage payments for folks who have like a one-month gap, a problem, and they take applications and help there. And they officed out of our building. And this is one of the ways I believe the church can can play a pivotal and creative role today, using our spaces creatively. It's, It's a lot of our thinking behind our food pantry that you may or may not know about that is on our campus here. 
Did you know that we serve people from our food pantry by appointment? Really, any time that they can come. And yes, we have larger giveaway days where we have a tons of volunteers here. Many of you help on those days. Uh, random people from businesses come in and help volunteer. And that is so cool to get to mix it up with our neighbors like that from local businesses who want to, to serve. And we have room uh, for them as well. Other businesses help fund that ministry. As we began praying about this and talking about it, we had no idea how we were going to be able to afford doing it. Well, God has provided each and every time we have had a giveaway day. With incredible help. Time and money from people who have gotten involved. And all of this supports, I believe, what John is getting at here. You are called to be the kinds of folks that we talk about all the time, following and being formed by Jesus, who love precisely this way. We have sufficient goods, many of us, all of us at times, and we are called to help our sisters and brothers in need with those goods. Simple enough. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. Here's what I know. God does not love me selectively. It is lavishly. And we love because we are loved. We love because we cannot help ourselves, because we know how we have been loved. You've heard the hymn, perhaps, they will know we are Christians by our love. And it's interesting, you can look, definitely that means that they will know we are Christians, hopefully, by the way that we love actively, the things that we do, the way that we spend our time and our resources to show people what God is like and that they are loved. But you also can back that up a little bit. They will know we are Christians by our love, the love that we possess, the love that we know, the love that we have, the love that God has given us, Right? And it's got to be in that order, or I guess the reverse order, the way I presented it. We love because God first loved us. They will ultimately know we are Christians if we know how we are loved. Let's look at 19 through 22 again. These can be tricky verses to understand. Maybe not to you. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth. This is where John's getting into trying to help us be encouraged, have confidence, have boldness in our faith. And we'll reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. God is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now, it's likely that we from time to time may doubt our standing before God. Um, maybe it's we didn't buy the contributor from the person who was 
selling it or we didn't put money in the bucket of the person asking for whatever reason. And maybe because of that, I feel like that God is mad at me or doesn't love me because I didn't demonstrate love in that instance or in that moment. Or, or maybe I even go deeper than that. And I think that my reticence to, to do so, to have helped that person in need at that moment, it reveals something dark about my spiritual state. And all of this can devolve very quickly, at least in my experience, to wondering whether or not or fearing that we are not truly saved. But when uncertainty creeps in, it would do us well to look at what John has to say here, that God knows all things, that God is greater than our hearts, that God's greatness should give us confidence and not our own ability. That should not be what gives us confidence. Too often in my life, it is. Start feeling good about myself. And that provides the cushion that I need to believe that God loves me. John's saying, don't do that, Brandon. God is greater. God knows all things greater than our hearts. But verse 21 and 22 indicates that our confidence before God in the world, remember, we're following and being formed by Jesus, it it also comes from keeping the command, and then by extension, the commandments, all that God would have us do, the, the living in God's will, living out how God would have us to be, doing what is pleasing in God's sight. So we, we have a couple of things going on here. Our, our salvation is sure because of God's greatness, that God is greater than our hearts, but we also should be people who live out these commandments. Now, I am getting older, and I have, I have some right leg discomfort. I have a surgically repaired left knee. So either leg that I choose in this illustration is not going to go well. But if I were to try to stand on one leg for any extended period of time in front of you, I would fall down pretty soon. Look at me. This is sad. The other one would be worse. Now, if I put my hand on my table... pretty good. And it doesn't always, it's not always the case that both of our legs or either of our legs always work. Things happen. But by and large, we were made with a left foot and a right foot, right? And those of us who are still able to walk, we trust both of those feet. We walk around one after the other. And while I fall down fairly often, just walk it around, it typically works. I have heard this illustration and like it as a mirror for our faith. Left foot, right foot. Faith in God and what God has done, but also works. Um, demonstrating through our lives who God is and how our faith in God has changed us, is forming us. Left foot, right foot. Let's just be honest with ourselves, folks. What is the gospel? 
if not believing that living a life of sacrificial love is what new life in Christ looks like. It has to. For a long time, several hundred years now, the church has said faith alone. And rightfully so. That was that was pushing back against a a religion that that demanded um, obedience, specifically financial obedience for salvation. But we deceive ourselves if if we think the truth is that simple. It is it is more nuanced. Faith is never alone. When God puts saving faith inside of us, God also creates active love that flows from us. Has to. Got to. Left foot, right foot, balance. So we obtain this balance and and our confidence is then in God's greatness. God is greater than our hearts and also through our, our practice. Sanctification, $5 word for that. Our obedience, our our works. John goes on to to give us the commandments that he's speaking of in verse 23. And then explains it further in 24. Look at verse 23. Now this is his command. I love that it's singular right there, indicating that we can't separate these two. Left, right, balance. Balance. Now, this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Now, this is one of the areas I think it really stands out where we we see the same authorship in the gospel of John and in this letter. For these two commands sum up the great commands in John's gospel to, to believe in Jesus and to love your sister and your brother. And we include verse 24 here in our text today to, to help answer, to help us with the, well, with the question, how do I know I'm obeying these commandments? How do I know I'm doing so faithfully? And to answer this, it takes us back to our time in John 15 the vine and the branches and remaining and abiding and, and dwelling and staying. Look at John 15. It'll be on the screen if you don't want to turn there. Verses four and five. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Now look look back at how John worded verse verse 24. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. Back to John 15. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. So how do we bear fruit? And this is assuming you guys want to bear fruit. But I, I, I think that you do. I think I know you well enough now to know that we have this desire to bear fruit. And that desire is God given. God has, has, has birthed that in you and is encouraging that in you, this desire to bear fruit, church. That's why Alex's daughter, even at age seven, is desiring to tell people about Jesus. We are made to bear fruit. So how do we do it? Well, how do we know we're 
obeying God's commands. It's by loving one another. Do you? Do you love one another? So much evidence in the world that we don't. We can disagree with one another and still love one another. I'm probably going to like you because I'm a nine on the Enneagram. Those of you who are familiar with that may understand the joke there. But we don't always have to like everything about each other. But we have to love each other. That's the fruit. Eight days ago, Saturday, I can't remember the date. Um, It's a blur now. Leslie Ann was out of town. She just left us. She went out of town with some friends. It was great for her. And we had a good day, too. It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful day. It was an incredible day, much like I believe today is going to be. So we're going to get out of here soon so we can go enjoy the day. It was a beautiful day. And I remember thinking, and we were outside a lot of the days. We had about 107 baseball games. So we were out there most of the day, but we had to drive to all those baseball games. And I remember thinking, gosh, we are driving a lot of places today. And I remember thinking, we... We could just be sitting in our backyard and enjoying this beautiful day, which is kind of cool or not humid, but kind of warm too. And spring was springing. And I just remember thinking I didn't want to be in my truck as much as I was that day. I hope you can do some of that today. We don't have any ball games today. I'm glad for that. Today is a good day to practice what John is alluding to here. The remaining, the abiding the dwelling, the, the staying. So I hope you will, church, today and in the days to come, focus on God's greatness. And I hope that that greatness will give you confidence in your standing with God that, and that because of that, we will be able to consider with some clarity only available through the Spirit, as our text teaches, what it means, what it looks like to bear good fruit and whether or not we are bearing good fruit. And here's the key. Here's here's what causes us to, to, to fuss and bicker and really ultimately hate one another. And I know this intimately because this is, as I do it, I seek to serve myself first. I seek to serve myself first rather than you. I don't fully understand yet and probably won't ever until I'm with Jesus that greater love has no man or woman than this, that he who would give his life, lay down his life for his friends. And we'll get more into that in the cross next week when we look at verses 16 and 17. But ultimately, friends, how we love each other, that's how we love God. That's how it works itself out. And when we are remaining, abiding, dwelling, when we have some space to feel in awe about all that God has done, we have a chance 
to do that. So I think this text asks of us to consider the space that we do have in our lives. Whether abiding is, abiding is going on. You're abiding in something. I'm abiding in something. Is it Christ? The Kentucky Derby was yesterday. I didn't watch it. I, I don't understand all of that, but it's a spectacle. I heard there were 150,000 people there. Perhaps you were. Way to go if you made it up there. But it was yesterday, and it reminded me of a story. Well, it reminded me of dog races. Now, I've never been to the Greyhound races, but I have heard a story about them. These dogs, they, they run around the track chasing. Have you seen this? Chasing a mechanical rabbit. Exactly. And they never catch the rabbit. The rabbit always stays ahead. And when they get older and they can't you know, run as fast, the owner puts a little ad in the paper and the dog will go live out the remainder of his or her life at someone's home. Well, I was in a home not too long ago, once upon a time, where there was one of these old race dogs lying on the floor in the den, conked out, looked so happy, so comfortable. And I said to that greyhound, I said, are you still racing? The dog spoke back. (laughs) No, no, I don't race anymore. Well, I said, don't you miss the glitter and excitement of the track? No, I don't. Well, did you get too old? No, no, I still had some race in me. Well, did you not win? No, I've won over a million dollars for my owner. Well, then were you treated poorly? No, they treat us like royalty. It was incredible every day. Then did you get injured or crippled? No, I didn't. I told you I still had some race in me. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. So I said, what happened? The dog said, I quit. You quit? Yeah, that's what I did. I quit. Well, why? I asked the dog. And he said, well, I discovered that what I was chasing wasn't really a rabbit. And I quit. That dog looked at me and said, all that running, running, running. And what I was chasing, it wasn't even real. Church, believe in the name of the Son, Jesus, and love one another. That's real. Let's pray.